0: Big oh, This is gonna be an easy one One quick stroke, oh. I'll bonk <laughs> him and be out of here by sundown <laughs> uh, Easiest money I ever made uh, How the hell am I supposed to concentrate with Smurf like that walking around? Oh, you did that on purpose Naughty, naughty well, I may have to put you in the duck suit and your little dog too. Uh-huh. Hey,
1: hey, who the hell Uh-oh. sent you? You little subversive vermin!
0: Hey! everybody. Go- oh, oh. <laughs> hey! everybody. i Hey! Hey! And I'm Andy McIntyre, and we're here at Silver Linings Playback. It's the the podcast where we we watch maligned movies and and we find their silver linings. And we're gonna do
1: it this week, I swear. We're gonna we watched Caddyshack 2, and we're gonna find the silver lining.
0: Look, I I'm gonna be real with everybody. Like, do you know this is this is year two of the show? We never really talked about this, but you know, when Andy McIntyre and I were kids. Uh, Our parents took us to see The Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And uh, you leaving the theater, our parents, as they often did, they cut through Crime Alley. And uh, there was a man who was heckling the movie. And it made our parents so sad that they all died. And it was that day that we vowed together to watch maligned movies and find their silver linings to prevent that from ever happening again. And I have to say, th- this has been our toughest week.
1: Yeah, that goes without saying. Um, I I thought about committing to that Dan Aykroyd voice for the whole show. and <laughs> I didn't think about you committing to that Dan Aykroyd voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, And I'm not going to do that because... This movie doesn't deserve that much effort. Um, yeah, this is be- this
0: This is the worst movie we've watched on this po- for this podcast. It I think you said that to me before we started and I can't refute you. So I'm I'm going to accept that as true. I can't offer a counter because as we were saying before we started there were some movies like if you listen to the Rise of Skywalker episode, I got very upset at that movie. But I didn't I'm not upset at this movie. I don't feel anything watching this movie. It it's nothing. I feel nothing watching it.
1: And I I felt
0: at various times baffled,
1: dumbfounded, and those are types of emotions. But I mean, yeah. This I mean I I say this as a ginger. <laughs> This movie is soulless.
0: Yeah, it's just... I mean, let's let's get into it. Okay, so... Let's just go. So this is it's Caddyshack 2. It's a sequel to the popular comedy... Comedy classic, despite it having aged pretty poorly. It, it has aged poorly. It's problematic. I don't even know if it was ever that great of a film, just structurally, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that as we talk about all this, but... A very funny movie with people doing very funny things in it. Some
1: all-time great comedic cinematic moments.
0: Yes. And I and I think that that is, is true. Now, here's the problem. So, looking at that movie, you had Rodney Danger... You had... <laughs> My dog's very upset. <laughs> she... Hated Shack too. Jolene has opinions on this movie. Yeah, like she stormed out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have, um, you got Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, all in their primes. Yeah, Rodney Dangerfield is old, but I think he was he was old in his. He prime. was old
1: forever. He was yeah very young,
0: and they're all improvising. And just coming up with gold, like the Dalai Lama speech improvised the every know. line Bill Murray said in that movie was not on the page. Yeah. and in, And even the scene with Bill Murray and Chevy Chase together, they they came up with together over lunch. It wasn't in the original script, like everything in the movie that you like was made up by those three men just improvising. Given a loose framework from comedic
1: geniuses Harold Ramis, Brian Doyle Murray, and Doug Kenny.
0: Yeah. And in fact, it became, and that's some of like why the movie is probably not structurally a great movie. They ended up editing way more of those characters into, they weren't supposed to be as featured as they all were. It was supposed to be about the Caddy Shack and like, you know, the, I said the Caddy Shack, the Caddy and like all of the Caddy Tournament and all of that stuff. They were all supposed to be on the, like, you know, outer edge of the movie and then just kept adding more and more of them because of how funny they were so that's that's Caddyshack and people liked it so the studio wanted to make a sequel to it and got one of those three people back <laughs> barely barely but he's not trying and he no not a little bit um, so you have no I Bill did. Murray you have no Rodney Dangerfield That's already two huge problems with this movie
1: Yeah, they uh, they did get Harold Ramis back to write the first draft of the script.
0: Right. And that was what I was reading is that apparently Dangerfield was interest like Bill Murray, true to form, had zero interest in coming back for this movie. (laughs) Yeah, there was not enough tea in China to get Bill Murray to do this movie. So he was never going to come back. Dangerfield entertained the idea and read the script and then thought it wasn't going to be good and walked away. Harold Ramis wrote that script and then also left the project at some point and it was rewritten.
1: Yeah, this is a Harold Ramis quote about writing this movie. Uh, He said, uh, but they said Rodney really wanted to do it and we could build it around Rodney. Rodney said, come on, do it. Then the classic argument came up, which says that if you don't do it, someone else will and it will be really bad. So I worked on a script.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and maybe worth noting, too, that this was Ramis's like the original Caddyshack was Ramus's first movie that he directed. Right. So, you know, he he probably had some desire to if they were going to make a sequel for it not to be terrible, you know.
1: Right. And reports are that whatever script that Harold Ramis turned in, um, there were enough further passes. Oddly enough, not a poop pass. Yeah, unfortunately, that guy... Surprisingly light on poop jokes, which the the poop joke in Caddyshack is one of the highlights of that movie.
0: Yeah, and that's why. That guy, he has integrity. And he knew that he couldn't improve upon it. And... So, yeah, so no Poop Pass,
1: but several other passes. And so much so that, really, it didn't even deserve to be credited to Harold Ramis. And he wished it wasn't. Um, But he was sort of, like, said, listen, if you take your name off this script, it's going to come out, and it's going to make this movie do even worse. So please just let your name stay on it. And he said yes, because Harold Ramis seems a decent fella.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, Dangerfield walked away and had a whole battle with the studio about not doing this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. And Bill Murray
1: sued the production of the movie because he, for some reason, gets credit for the gopher, and so them using it was, like, stealing his intellectual property, so he was able to successfully sue them. Which I'm happy for him. Yeah, great. Um. This movie might be the second most sordid circumstances around that we've done
0: to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, but it's not, it's it, not nearly as fun. It, it's not as fun because also League of Extraordinary Gentlemen ruined careers. This didn't, as far as I know, ruin anyone's career. I think everybody no, um, kept working. Yeah. I mean, Robert Stack continued to
1: work. Jonathan Silverman was on an upward tra- trajectory after this. Jessica Lundy consistently got work. China Phillips started an amazing singing career as part of Wilson Phillips. Um, Jackie Mason, his legacy was secured. So that's, you know, it didn't tarnish that. Um, Aykroyd somehow continued to get work after this. We'll get to that. That deserves a whole segment unto itself. Um, Chevy Chase. I mean, yeah, this didn't end anybody's career. Even the director, Adam Arkush, went on to have a pretty successful career directing television. So, yeah,
0: he produced the show Heroes. So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, he, he continued to work, you know, right. Yeah. So So
1: this. There's a chance in a different universe. A million monkeys, a million typewriters that a decent Caddyshack sequel gets created. And there's even a chance with the basic framework of this movie that something like.
0: The plot beats in and of themselves aren't horrific. They're yeah, not we good. can. You know what? Say, put a pin in that. We'll come back to that in our Silver Linings portion a long time from now. That's going to yeah, be the it's last. It's going to be a while. It's going to be the last five minutes of the show. Um, <laughs> I think I want to. Let's start with
1: Aykroyd. Let's start at the top of the alphabet.
0: Okay. All right. Um. I, you know, what's funny is I knew that he was in it and I knew that he was playing, you know, I use this term loosely, but I knew that he was playing the Bill Murray role. In he the was movie. the Bill Murray analog in this movie. But I, so I knew that going in and then I started watching it and to be honest, I kind of forgot about him because like everything else is happening and he shows up pretty late in this movie. I want to say it's like an hour in. They, they it's. It's late second act. Yeah. And it was jarring when he showed up. Like, I want to take back
1: every nice thing I said about Dan Aykroyd the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Because I I will consider myself still, despite having seen this, a Dan Aykroyd fan. Yeah. He tested that with this. It's I mean, you heard it in the opening clip. You heard me doing that voice. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's so bad that I almost think Ackroyd was like, I'm going to just give the worst possible performance and see how far I can go. See if anybody tries to rein me in. And nobody called his bluff. Yeah. That's the only logical thing I can think that happened in this. Because it is like the voice makes no sense the motivations of the character makes no sense I hope to god he improvised that I hope that he wasn't just reciting the words on the page it's Dan Aykroyd is a legend of sketch comedy both writing and performance he is an academy award nominated actor this should cancel all that out it's almost that bad
0: he shouldn't have been allowed to continue to do stuff. I I I do it should stand have by killed that. his career. Yeah. Like just completely. It's It's embarrassingly bad.
1: This is the meanest we've ever gotten about anything in the history of this podcast.
0: And look, I And will I think you're selling it. I will usually like 99% of the time I will defend actors and stuff because I think it's very hard being an actor. I think like I'll defend Christian Bale's Batman voice because Christian Bale didn't know what it sounded like. He in his head, he's like, Batman needs to sound gruff. I'm doing a voice. Everybody else on set heard the voice and nobody said anything to him. You as an actor, you don't have a lot of control. It's the director. It's the, you know, it's everyone else watching the film, editing it together that they see the dailies, they see what you're doing, they can give, that's their job, to give you direction, to tell you what to do. So, 99% of the time, I'll defend actors. I'll defend Hayden Christensen in Star Wars. I'll say that, like, he was acting opposite a green screen, you know, he wasn't experienced. That, he was p-
1: that there are probably other takes where he made different choices, and those were the takes
0: that got used. Yeah. So, I'll defend all of that. This is Aykroyd's fault. it's bad and he should have known better he has made movies he's a writer he's a comedian he had to know what he was doing was bad he had to feel that
1: and that's why i think it's that he was just seeing how far he could push it i guess that's the only thing i can think of because this is like it's so bad it looks intentional
0: yeah. And it is like, funny because you can see what Chevy Chase he seems to have sized it up, realized this movie was bad, realized he was locked in, and he's just going through the motions. He's not bad he's in the movie. He's himself. Yeah, he's not bad in the movie, but he
1: does not care. And he doesn't care in a way more fun way than Harrison Ford didn't care in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, he's
1: just there. Fun for himself, I think Harrison Ford not caring a Rise of Skywalker is the most fun thing in that
0: movie. For I'm me. I'm quite positive that was a silver lining when we did that. Uh, yeah, it definitely was. No, but like, yeah, Chevy Chase is like doing his thing. It's fine. Ackroyd is making a bad movie worse.
1: It's. If you want. To see the one of the worst acting performances ever put on screen by someone who is definitely a talented actor. This is a great example. This isn't like, you know, those people that are making like small low budget B movies that don't have a lot of screen acting experience where they're not delivering it right. This isn't that. This is a seasoned professional at this point. You know, he had been in the national spotlight for More than a decade. This came out in like 88. And since 75, he'd been doing stuff on a national scale. And before that, you know, successful performing on stage, performing on the radio, et cetera, et cetera. There's no excuse for how bad this performance is.
0: No. And also, I mean, Aykroyd was a part of Saturday Night Live, which is, you know, an institution that has live sketch comedy. So he's certainly been a part of things that fell flat that didn't work. You know, Mm -hmm. that's part of the deal. But this is like, I don't know, it's it's inexcusable. (laughs) Like it's. (laughs)
1: It.
0: The voice makes no sense. The voice sounds like he makes no sense. Yeah. The voice feels like. I think he's trying to do something similar to what Bill Murray's doing, but like not. But can't. But didn't see them. It's almost like someone described to him. What you know? No, it's like someone described to someone else what Bill Murray was doing. Then that person described it to another person, and then that person described, described it. it to Aykroyd's agent. Yeah, who, who described it to him? It's like Aykroyd, Bubby, but you gotta do this part. But his agent was on like a car. It was eighty eight. They probably had car phones there, or like yeah, a, he, a Ackroyd's agent for sure had a car phone in eighty eight. But, but he was on a car phone and he was driving through a tunnel. And Ackroyd, he was too embarrassed to clarify. So he was like, I think I understand the voice.
1: Yeah, and like Ackroyd, they were doing the walk and talk in the hallway and Ackroyd went into the bathroom and the movie, his agent didn't follow him in and didn't realize that that was when he was continuing to talk about the part. And it was mm-hmm.
0: And so, so he was, like, the,
1: it's so bad.
0: Yeah, it's like, so bad. I Dumb Jimmy Stewart. I think that's what he's doing. Just like. What if Jimmy Stewart was not smart? And was making a mockery of PTSD. I guess, yeah. Yeah, which doesn't even feel worth getting upset about because...
1: No, it's... Yeah, it's like... (laughs) And... That's the least problematic callback in this movie. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Not the most problematic callback in this movie.
0: But if I can be clear about one thing since because hopefully we're going to move on and not talk about accurate anymore. Just so I understood the end of the movie as it was implied on screen. The after the credits roll, what happens is that Chevy Chase's character just eats his ass, right? Yeah. For money. Yeah. Because, and you, now if you haven't seen this movie and you're like, Joel, come on, what are you doing? That's beat for beat. Their last scene together. Their only scene together, the two of them, is Aykroyd has an arrow, a poison arrow that he, he poisoned an arrow to try to kill the gopher and he got shot himself in his, in his ass with the poison. Hilarious. Yeah. I mean, classic comedy. Am I right? And then he's walking around with the poison arrow, and then he finds Chevy Chase, and he says, if I pull the arrow out, will you suck out the poison? And Chevy Chase, I believe, says, how much? And then they just go to town on each other. Yeah, it's graphic. Yeah. It's the last 25 minutes of the movie.
1: It's just... Chevy Chase toss an Ackroyd salad, and like
0: and Aykroyd's see- still
1: doing the voice the whole yeah. time.
0: <laughs> I mean, that- you eat it deeper, and that
1: I respect him for. Yeah, okay, that that's our silver lining. <laughs> yeah, <is> Ackroyd <laughs>
0: keeping character
1: while getting his ass eaten by Chevy Chase.
0: Because like you might think if you haven't seen it, like oh they they probably faked that somehow, but they couldn't have these angles.
1: Yeah, well, and the director
0: keeps coming out. It's like, this isn't in the script. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. like everybody, like there's a guy that like the boom mic operator is just vomiting. <laughs> just uncontrolled. And they leave all of it in. Like he drops the boom mic,
1: vomits in frame. That's the thing. None yeah. of it gets edited out.
0: Yeah. And when we're saying like he's doing the voice, it's really muffled. It's hard to hear because he's not mic You can tell. But you can tell. You can the mic tell. is not, it, not
1: in a good place for it. Yeah. Um, You see the lighting tech just smashing the
0: bulbs. Yeah, trying to make it, but it's outside. So it's not even a bunch
1: of natural light. It was at the magic hour, you know? Yeah.
0: So unfortunately, it it doesn't do anything. You know, it doesn't help at
1: all. In camera B, you just like camera A turns to him a second. You just see him crying saying,
0: I can't look away. Yeah. It's. It's an endurance trial. And what's weird is like there's one point where both cameras turn away. But then, like somehow, that's worse because you still know. And the mic was in a spot like it felt perfectly where you could hear.
1: Yeah, the salad.
0: So you, you almost want it to go back, and then
1: it does. And that, it's it's this weird, it like invented ASMR for all intents and purposes, and it's <laughs> it's ASSR. Yeah, it's ASSR. <laughs> that's oh. Uh, um. That being said, what you just described there is a complete work of fiction. I might have enjoyed it more than the movie. <laughs> no, I think I
0: would have. Um,
1: um, let's stop talking about Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like this movie like, thought it was trying to make a point a couple of times and kept backing off. And that was
0: frustrating to me. Well, there's definitely something about the fact that the... Because, again, so they didn't get danger field and so instead they changed it's a new character and it's stated that the character is armenian and it's sort of doing um and jewish and jewish and it's like doing you know some social commentary about how those things are undesirable at a country club which relevant i mean that that stuff is true that really happened but like not in a meaningful way and then also undercut by the fact that the guy himself is very brash and terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's a nice guy to his employees, but he also is a, like he's antagonizing the people at this club.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like capitalizes on all the negative stereotypes of like nouveau riche, Uh, you know, without, And it's Jackie Mason who has his, you know, he's in Cooperstown. Like his, his legacy is secured as a comedic performer, but.
0: But don't Google Jackie Mason, Obama. Uh, Anyway. Uh, Yeah. Don't do that. please. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, comedically at the time. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Separate the art from the artist here, folks. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: As you furiously Google Jackie Mason, Obama. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, well, the other weird thing is like the movie can't decide. And this is just like, you know, just writing problems with this movie is the movie can't decide who the protagonist is either. It's, is it Jackie Mason? Is it his daughter? Is it the country club people who he's ruining their lives? Yeah. Is it Robert Stack? (laughs) Yeah. Is it Robert Stack? Is it Robert Stack's idiot kid? Is it China Phillips playing Miffy? Which, again, like,
0: the first movie, the protagonist was... Was it Danny? Danny. Danny is very clearly the protagonist. But what happened, again, in that movie, a lot of Danny's stuff got cut in favor of giving more screen time to these supporting characters, but it was still clear that Danny was the protagonist. We just often spent time with these other characters. Yeah. Danny's the character that grows and changes and goes on an arc. Right. But, yeah, they wrote that character as the lead, and he feels like a lead, and he... We know what he wants. We know what he's trying to do. And it's it feels like the daughter should be that character because she her whole she kind of has an arc in that she really wants her dad to play nice because she wants to join the country club. But we don't even really know why she wants this. And we don't understand her well enough or spend enough time with her to really for her to actually feel like the main character. She's not developed enough
1: no and no one is i mean jonathan silverman who was something of a hot ticket in the late 80s as far as like you know a comedic lead does nothing in this movie nope he's in it no yeah. he fetches a root beer
0: that's his big scene
1: and like it seems like they're they maybe wanted to try to do the uh jessica lundy's character kate like she seems think she's interested in Robert Stack's son, but then finds out that she's actually more compatible with the caddy. Like, it seems like they want to do that, but then they just don't.
0: Yep. Also, the caddies are getting fired, but that's also not really developed.
1: Yeah. I mean, if anything, Jackie Mason's character is, he's the protagonist. He definitely gets the most screen time. He definitely does the most things maybe goes on an arc
0: he doesn't have an arc
1: yeah no he ends up pretty much the same as he started no
0: he is a static character from start to end he is not changed at all by anything because the ultimate moral is that his daughter has to accept him but he doesn't have to do anything and it's not even like he has a moment of like trying to play like he never sincerely attempts to be nice to the country club people for his daughter
1: no, he stayed. And oddly enough, Diane Cannon is in love with him for no
0: good reason. Yeah, all of that's confusing. And then also she's doing a lot of the same behavior, but it's okay. Like there's no no one cares that she's doing it.
1: Yeah, like it's, she mentions that she's not particularly well liked, but. But she's allowed to be a part of the club. Right. Maybe because she didn't wear a blue iridescent tuxedo. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Also, the
1: only character whose motivations make sense are Chevy Chase as Ty Webb, who just sells out like that tracks.
0: Yeah, because he, I mean, he's fairly consistent from the first movie and that he didn't care in that movie about anything. And he doesn't care about anything in this movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and for some reason they do the same like golf off for the fate of the country club and the caddy is uh Jackie Mason's partner for no reason.
0: Yeah, which again in the first movie the caddy wasn't the partner originally. And in fact, I mean it's Rodney Dangerfield who need like he gets injured and has
1: well injured, yeah. Well, I
0: mean he fake he fakes an injury to cuz he's playing terribly. And then they bring in the caddy to finish for him. Right. Because it's him and Chevy Chase, but Chevy Chase doesn't play golf this time.
1: Right. He just kind of helps coach Jackie Mason's character a little bit at one point.
0: Which they realize halfway through the tournament what they should have done. Which is like the whole thing is that he slices really terribly and then Jonathan Silverman is like, what if we turned you 90 degrees <laughs> to correct your slice, which feels like a thing that should have happened in the training montage or something before the... Or something. Yeah. Like he should have grown before the last five minutes of the movie when they suddenly just need to explain why he's winning. Yeah, I... Uh... Can we talk about the gopher? <sighs> Sure. so the gopher again bill murray gets credit for it in the original movie it's a puppet i like the puppet in the first movie it dances to that kenny Loggins song it's, there's there's some good stuff it, i mean that really is there's a whole bugs bunny cartoon happening with this gopher and, and- it's it's decent content
1: between yeah. the gopher going after, or Bill Murray going after the gopher.
0: Yeah, it's a true, like, it is Roadrunner Wile Coyote with Bill Murray being Wiley Coyote. He's using all of the explosives and know-how that he has to try to stop this thing, and he just cannot. It's, it's decent. I also saw that they used dolphin sound effects for the gopher's voice in the first movie. This movie... They hired a famed voice actor. Uh, Frank Welker. Frank Welker, who, fun fact, voiced the character of Ray in the Ghostbusters cartoon. So you have both live action and animated Ray in this film together. Uh, he but also
1: voiced Slimer. Any voice On Slimer. that same cartoon. And it's the same voice as the Gopher.
0: Yes. no, that is accurate. Uh... So now the gopher can talk way more and says words and is more sentient, you know, in this movie, but somehow this is what got me. I don't even know that I mind any of that, but like, here's my problem. The end of the first movie is an explosion set to like a classical overture with the, you know, with like all these explosions. It's, it's completely over the top pyro. I read in the IMDB trivia for that movie that people actually thought about real bombs went off and like called the police when they filmed the scene. That's how large the explosions were. They, they went way bigger than they even meant them to. So, that's the end of the first movie. So if you're heightening the gopher as a character, you also have to heighten the stakes of their battle. Well, and this gets into the other. So
1: Dan Aykroyd's character does not get hired to kill the gopher the way Bill Murray's character got high, got asked to get rid of the gopher in the first one.
0: Right. Because in the first movie, there's a gopher that's eating up the golf course. And Bill Murray is the groundskeeper. So this is—it actually makes sense. It's under his purview as the groundskeeper to stop the gopher.
1: No, in this movie, Dan, Dan Aykroyd, Aykroyd is an ass- hired to
0: assassinate
1: Jackie Mason.
0: Yes, which like is just presented so matter-of-factly as if like obviously he's gonna kill this guy. <laughs> but then gets sidetracked by the gopher. Yeah, because the gopher is just sort of hanging. The gopher also interrupts a like a fancy party and like is eating food, at, uh, but like but nobody's trying to stop it. But when he's doing his recon, the gopher gets invested and then he gets sidetracked trying to get the go. But but also still is trying to stop Jackie Mason, but poorly. But then the gopher decides to kill Robert Stack and his family. yep because again in the last movie the explosion that bill murray sets off to try to get the gopher which fails to get the gopher knocks the golf ball into the hole so that they can so that our heroes can win in this movie there's an exploding golf ball that gets that the gopher (laughs) swaps out with robert stack's ball because he has a chance to tie and then he blows up and then they decide that, that counts well the ball didn't go in the hole so yeah which is by the way one of the best things because i did rewatch the first one i do actually love uh that bit of business with brian doyle murray who we haven't really talked about but who was like pivotal in writing the first movie based on his own experiences as a caddy at a golf club <laughs> and based the main character on the Murray family, which is why it's like such a large family like that. Right. But he plays the guy who's like judging the tournament, uh, which I guess he's in charge of the caddies. I don't entirely know what his job is. Yeah.
1: He's like the, the, the greens manager like, he's the manager of the golf course.
0: But no, there's this great bit where the, the music is playing and all these explosions are going off and the gopher's, like, running around and everybody's, like, losing it. And he's just laser focused on that ball. On the ball. And That's they keep great. cutting back to him. It, it is really great. Like, it's sincerely well choreographed and, like, well edited, that, that bit. And then he catches it, that it goes in, and then they win. So... But this movie, again, heightens the gopher, but doesn't heighten the ending. The ending is, like, less than the first movie. Yeah, it's... Well, and the fact
1: that, like... This is how it, like, sort of flips the protagonist, is... Say what you want about golf club culture. It is problematic. It is elitist. It is pretty racist most of the time. All of that is true. Uh, but essentially what Jackie Mason's character does is buys the golf club from Ty, Ty Webb, Chevy Chase's character, and then just turns it into a literal circus.
0: Yeah. It's kind of mini, golf-esque, mini golf esque. mini golf. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, very brash and, you know, ridiculous. And I mean, people, Regardless
1: of who you are, you deserve a right to recreation, I feel like, in this world. And if you choose to do that playing golf, you want to play golf as it's intended. So, it's you know, he's sticking it to the rich people, but not in a fun and meaningful way that speaks truth to power.
0: Well... Maybe it's fair. I'm not defending any of this movie because I don't think it's well written, but I guess the movie's justification for it, just to put it out there, is that they have interfered with his other building projects like they, he's right. He's been so he he was trying to develop stuff and he gets into a whole thing with them. And they, because they have all this power, this bureaucratic power, they pull all of his licenses and they like make it so that he is like basically he's not allowed. He's a developer and he can't develop anything. So then what he does is he buys their club from Chevy Chase, who owns it, which I think was a thing they made up in the moment because I that was never hinted at in the first movie or hinted at in this movie until it's just like, I'm going to buy the club. And then it just like cuts to Chevy Chase owning it.
1: Right, and it gets back to that whole, like, if you own 51% of the shares, you own the whole thing. Like, that falsehood that movies use all the
0: time. Well, and the idea that, like, if you're one of several owners, that you could make radical changes to a business without having to get any kind of approval. Also, again, he's not allowed to develop anything else, but he was able to build all this stuff on the golf course. It doesn't make sense, but... You know, it,
1: it's As you
0: start to pull on the threads. Um, But, like
1: everybody's despicable in this movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Danny. I was, like, really running through that. And I... Because I think there were good characters in the first... Like, Danny actually seems like a good guy. Danny's trying Misguided to... Misguided at times, but he's he, trying to do the right thing. He's trying to do the right thing. He He's looking for upward mobility that this club can offer. But he's overall a good guy. Um, the... The Irish girl. I can't remember her name. Like the, she seems. I'm sure it's Molly or Maggie. <laughs> it's, I think it is Maggie. Yes. But she seems nice. Even Lacey. Lacey seems nice. Like she's just yeah. rich, but she seems like a nice character. I Bill mean, even che- Chevy Chase's character seems. Chevy Chase seems like kind of a dick in the first movie. A
1: dick, but like a harmless one.
0: Yeah. I mean, he he toes the line, I think. Yeah. But well, and like Bill Murray seems like a good person in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best part of
1: that movie. I mean...
0: He's definitely the best part. I... Look, everything... And that
1: movie's great. I love Caddy. Yeah. Film,
0: but Bill Murray is the best part. Yeah. I mean, the Dalai Lama speech is the best part of that movie.
1: That was completely improvised mm-hmm. and... Well, the it's in the hole is the one that got put on the AFI's 100 Years 100. Right. Years. Which
0: he also improvised. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Which he was just doing and they turned a camera on him. Yeah. Is the actual story. Yes. No, because Bill he was Murray... just literally just lopping off uh, flower the heads of flowers and doing the play-by-play, so they just started filming him.
0: Yeah. No, because Bill Murray is one of the funniest people on the planet, and he was being... like, Again, that's why they changed the movie to just keep adding more of him and more of Rodney Dangerfield and more of of Chevy Chase, because they were all being hilarious.
1: Right, and they're like, oh, wait, Chevy and Bill don't have a scene together. Let's uh, let's fix that.
0: (laughs) Which they also, if people don't know, hated each other uh, because of Saturday Night Live, because Bill Murray replaced Chevy Chase in season two. And then when Chevy Chase came back to host season two, he acted like a dick and Bill Murray punched him in the face. And this is the first time uh, this, I mean the the original Caddyshack was the first time they had ever like shared a screen <laughs> together in a movie like since then. But apparently they got along uh, during that movie and had lunch and like worked out the scene. And, and it seems like everybody just partied when they made that movie. It seemed like a very young Like, But that's the thing. I think everybody there was having fun making that movie and and Ramis gave them the freedom to improvise. And so you got all of the best comedy from that. And just the idea like there was no way they were going to recreate any of that. I mean, one, they didn't even get the people, but also like that is a lightning in a bottle situation. It was the right time for those people To just all get together and just have that kind of atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And you can't just manufacture that. No. As this movie shows. (sighs) So this is the like, this is like if a robot watched that movie and then was tasked with like, like, okay, robot, you saw this movie where all these humans improvised to this comedy. Now do it again. And it was like, well, this is why it worked because there was a guy like this and there was a guy that acted like this and there was a gopher. I did it. And it's like, I mean, you you checked off a lot of the same boxes as that movie, but it's a great example of. On paper, you matched Caddyshack while missing everything that made Caddyshack good. (laughs) So let's talk about the slave auction oh right there's that too which they call it that they they use a lot of really racist terminology to talk about a slave auction
1: yeah uh that's not a th- so full disclosure we made up the 25 minute scene of chevy chase eating dan We,
0: i remember that happening i know you do did i was that a did i fan us did i want that to happen I think you did. Oh, I oh, think you really did. I mean, well, okay, um, look, we can skip the end. The silver lining is I learned something about myself today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> I we are in no way kidding that there was indeed a slave auction for which, charity.
0: Which they they're trying to do like I mean, And I I feel bad bringing this movie up, but it's just the one that popped into my head. But like the movie Groundhog Day has like a bachelor auction. Cheers has a bachelor auction. There's a lot of things that have an auction where you like win a day with a person, which is which is okay. But no, that's not what they say in this movie. That's not what they call it. And that's not what it is. They literally use the phrase slave auction. And the idea is that if you bid money for charity the person has to do whatever you tell them to like manual labor wise for the day. They explain it as like, it's, these are the the top people at the club. These are the people with the status and you can like make them wash your car or whatever, you know, but they, that's, those are the terms they use. They use a lot of really gross language and terminology to describe the event and not in a way that the, like that the movies, the movie doesn't make it clear that it has a problem with any of that.
1: No, the movie quite evidently does not have a problem with it. Yeah. And like it like try- this is one of the points in the movie where it tries to make a point And swings and misses so wildly because Jackie Mason is mad at the country club people for, you know, taking his permits and not letting him develop this low income housing. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when he buys literally every item, every lot at the auction, every person that was up for auction, he bought all. He
0: Yeah, he outbids everyone else. Uh, I think it's and like $11,000 or something, right? That they say yeah. that he he paid to, to win every auction.
1: And proceeds to have the upper crust elitist white wasp country club people. Work on his buildings that somehow he gets to keep building, even though his permits have all been pulled.
0: Maybe they haven't been pulled then. I don't remember the timeline, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, they might actually pull them in response to this because they get it mad. at
1: yeah. it, it could have been when he chased uh, Robert Stack's wife with the bulldozer.
0: No, that was the opening scene. So that would, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, but regardless, uh, so they're they're at the construction site and they're doing the work, which like there's almost a comedic idea there there's the there's something resembling a there's a comedic com- idea there there's no comedic execution oh that's right it's not well done but there's it's there's craft almost done in the like he he used money to buy these people and they were expecting like a fun because they say it's like you're there they're the expectation is that you were like gonna make them wash your car and then you'd like give them lunch or something and it's fun and he he goes well no instead of fun like you're you're gonna do real work like that you know i that in a, a better writers could have maybe made that into something but this movie does not make it into anything now Also, Randy Quaid's in the movie. Yeah, we haven't talked about Randy Quaid in the movie. Okay, so moving on. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, It was supposed to be Sam Kinnison, but when Dangerfield
0: backed out, so did Kinnison.
1: Yeah, Kinnison. And you can really tell that part was written for Kinnison.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of Randy Quaid shouting. And being yep. being like the loose cannon, he's the lawyer, but he's just threatening people. Some uh, everything about this movie sucks. Okay, are we?
1: Let's do it. Let's 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 find the silver lining. Okay, all right.
0: Joel learned something about himself. There's that. There's this. April twenty fourth is Armenian Genocide Remembrance Day. And for the first time ever, on this April 24th, our president, Joe Biden, uh, he officially labeled what happened as a genocide of for the mass killings of Armenians by the Ottoman Empire during World War One. He broke with 30 years of like the um, president's like really not wanting to use that terminology. It's a widely... Underreported thing, like it's not talked about a lot. I didn't really know a lot about it until I moved to LA and I moved to an Armenian neighborhood that has nothing to do with the movie, but except that the characters were Armenian, and I thought about it, and so that's not a silver lining for the movie, but it's a silver lining for the world.
1: No, this this, this is an event. Um, and I, i'm i teach world history as my profession and I do teach about the Armenian genocide um, yeah because it's it's one of those things that like it it wasn't widely known especially at the time but it is almost like a copied blueprint 20 years later in in, in the holocaust yes that is yeah. their parallels very clearly drawn um and it's you know just it shows the value of studying history to try to avoid repeating mistakes of the past or being aware of mistakes of the past to see them coming again. Uh, And yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a nice moment when, and this is when uh, Jackie Mason's daughter, Jessica Lundy starts to like change her mind when uh, Miffy says that she should stop going by her full name, uh, Kate Hartunian and just go by Kate Hart. Yeah, And and she says, well, my name's Hartoonian. That's what I want to go by.
0: Yeah. And again, though, as we talked about before, the movie's pretty toothless in like really leaning into that too much. But it, it definitely hints at that, like the idea that, you know, they're they're wanting her to not be, you know, to like have an ethnic name to, you know, fit in with the lifestyle, fit in yeah. with the sorority, the whole deal. Yeah. So. I don't know. I it's it gives a uh an like a reason to bring it up, which I do think is an important thing. Yeah, to acknowledge like that just happened. Um, I it was something I had never heard about until I was an adult who moved to Los Angeles. So like, it it's definitely something uh that should be talked about more. And it so we had an opportunity to talk about that on this show. I'm gonna count that.
1: I'm gonna count it too. Um. I think I don't want to follow that necessarily because I think that's kind of a good note to go out on, but I feel like we should talk about.
0: Oh, I probably should have saved that for last. That is, that's my bet, but yeah, uh,
1: we can fix that in post. Um, we'll, (laughs) our editors will take care of that. Yeah. So hold two,
0: three. Yeah. So let's talk about the silver linings for this movie. Okay. Well, my first silver lining, because I haven't done any so far, uh, I feel like happy Gilmore saw what this movie was trying to do and did it better. That's definitely true because whatever this movie thought it wanted to be, the answer was happy Gilmore. That is the movie that addressed everything this tried to be about a guy who tried to turn stuffy golf into a big fun circus and actually understood the assignment. Yep.
1: Um, I think I, I do think this movie and everything negative said about Chevy chase is 100% warranted, but he is on freaking autopilot in this movie and he's still pretty funny. I think that speaks to his talent as a comedian.
0: Me I'm just gonna he, put that out there. I, my mileage varied, but in the, in the, in the attempt to have a silver lining, sure. Um, I, and I'm not saying he's not funny. I just didn't find him particularly funny in this movie.
1: I, I, it's one of those things where like a red dot on a blue wall. Yeah, it stands out because it's in such contrast to everything around it that's like actively unfunny, mm-hmm. and he's kind of funny, so he stands out as yeah. being kind of funny. Yeah, because um, you know he he knows how to deliver a line. He knows how to deliver oh. a comedic line. No, that is that's for sure. Um. Yeah. He, I would even go as far to say is that he's one of the best at delivering a comedic line. He was in the eighties. Oh I, for, yeah. Well at, at this point, um, I'm going to say it cause it made me laugh even if it is associated with Ackroyd, but the fact that he decided his code name for Robert Stack's character was Mrs. Esther house. That made me chuckle. I don't know. i like that. I was like, that's kind of funny.
0: Cause a- it's, Andy, it's, you're, you're losing me, buddy. <laughs>
1: And I, I'm just gonna say, like, everything about that it is terrible. But I was like, it's just so stupidly random that I it got it gave me a chuckle. It it did not. That's it. fair because it's yeah. not that funny. Yeah. It, it's really,
0: really not. Um. I I'm not trying to be contrarian, but. I don't think I found anything funny in this movie <laughs> I didn't laugh that's what I'm saying yeah like I'm really trying to think about it and I'm really trying to be fair because usually there's something right like but i i don't I don't think there was anything in this movie that i I even was like huh. i I just watched it i honestly I wish I had. Footage of me watching this movie because I imagine it was just a blank stare for for two hours. No, that's um, and it, I say two hours. The movie was like an hour and forty minutes running time, but I think I just continued to stare at my TV for another twenty minutes when it was over and just didn't move.
1: Yeah, I started watching this last night and finally came to when I remembered we were recording at eight today. Um, now, I, I don't know that this counts as a silver lining, but this was a thought that occurred to me while cooking dinner tonight, thinking about the movie and the podcast. If you want to get in and get out quickly as a Hollywood screenwriter, be the person that takes a second pass at a sequel to a comedy that was really successful. You will get paid. You will never work again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just a truism that I realized. Um, and I don't even know for sure if the other people that wrote on this movie did anything afterwards, but like that's, Ugh. there's a re I mean, there are myriad reasons why the list of good comedy sequels is a very short list. Uh, but this movie just goes to that nth degree of showing wh- how hard it is to make a decent comedy
0: sequel. I mean, the guy PJ uh, Tor Torkvey uh, went on to write uh, guarding tests after this cool and before this wrote back to school and 31 episodes of wkrp in cincinnati well all right so um but you're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> there are only four credits after <laughs> caddyshack two. yeah um I'm just going to say this. If you're trying to make a sequel to a movie that Bill Murray was in and Bill Murray doesn't want to do it, don't do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, I can't think of an example where, I mean, Bill Murray hasn't done a ton of movies that have sequels. It's like this Ghostbusters and Garfield
0: he did garfield think about that he did this sequel to garfield kitties yeah which (laughs) man part of me just wants to do that next week (laughs) let's do it (laughs) yep that's what
1: we're doing next week we're doing garfield a tale of two kitties yeah look stay tuned everybody yeah
0: pulling back the curtain we realize there are five weeks (laughs) this month so we need another movie we're doing that's hey that's a silver lining we're doing garfield at tale of two kitties oh
1: that this entire hour has been
0: worth it because we came to that conclusion (laughs) we want to see the one that bill murray was excited to do the sequel for if by excited you mean contractually obligated tomato tomato And you know what the best part of that is? You know what day that episode is going to drop? Monday.
1: (laughs) Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth
0: Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you. I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why there's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio. A weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network.